Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, welcome if you're watching at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., or 6 p.m. It is so good to be with you for church at home. And come on, come on, can we give it up for everybody who's watching online today? We love you. Thank you for joining us, even if it is from your living room. I think we're going to get back to church soon. I'm not quite sure, but stay tuned. I'm really excited about that. But until then, it's good to be sitting on your couch with you uh, today. Um, I'm excited to share the word because there's been something brewing behind the scenes with our team, something we've been working on for a couple of weeks that I finally get to announce to you today. I've been waiting for this moment. Uh, And I really do believe that the content we're going to discuss, not just today, but in the weeks to come, really just have the capacity to change the culture, the climate, the heart of the Father's house. I think we were doing pretty well if we were grading on a curve, but I really think there's something that God wants to deposit in our church in this season, and I think he's going to do so in seed form starting today. Uh, That video that you just watched a moment ago, first time we've ever done anything like that for a sermon series, and that's because we're not really going into a series as much today as we're going into a campaign, our first ever church campaign. And uh, let let me take you on a road with me so that I can share with you how we got here. Uh, as you consider everything that's happened over the last six months, uh, this, all that's happened from COVID to wildfires and everything that we're walking through right now, there's just been a lot of trauma. Uh, people who have experienced loss and job loss and sickness and people who've lost hope, people who've kind of taken on anxiety and depression at a whole new level, people in our own community that have attempted suicide. There's just been a lot of trauma trying to take people out. But I think as I look at all that's happened in, in the name of trauma, the greatest trauma or, or the, greatest, uh, the greatest chaos, if you will, the greatest crumbling has been of people's faith. I've watched a lot of people's faith really wane and some people just kind of throw it out in this season. People who have gotten set free from addictions or people who've gotten set free from lifestyles or people who have experienced freedom from depression and anxiety and we're finally living in this place of experiencing the joy of the Lord and the hope of the Lord and the purpose and the calling of the Lord. They found themselves now in a season as a result of isolation and you know the death to normal and everything else that we've experienced. They've kind of given up on God in the midst of it. They've fallen back into some old lifestyles and Jesus is sort of an afterthought, if a thought at all right now. And if I'm being honest, I think that there's nothing more crushing for a pastor than seeing godly people fall. There's nothing I hate more than seeing people who used to grace our auditorium and I knew their story, I knew what God had rescued them from and I knew what he was doing in their life. There's nothing that hurts my heart more than seeing those people fall over and over and over again to the point where some have kind of tapped out on their faith and said, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. And that weight, that burden has, has gotten pretty heavy for Robin and I over the last few months, if I'm being honest, almost crippling and, and debilitating. And it kind of, kind of came to a head a few weeks ago. Um, I was having a, a, a number of meetings with people who were walking through some of that stuff and just hearing their, where their head and their hearts were at and the devastation of their lives. And I remember leaving one of those meetings and, and kind of having a kind of a, a fist shake with God, if you will. <laughs> one of those like, God, what is happening right now? When is this going to stop? Like, I feel like every day I get another story of someone in our community who's just tapping out or giving up or just going through something that they don't deserve. I mean, like, what is happening right now? 
And I, I was praying and I was worshiping. I was singing out that song we were singing a few moments ago, Reckless Love. I had perfect pitch. It was amazing. Um, but as I was sitting there in my living room and, and, and singing, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me like a little mini vision, if you will. And as I was singing, I, I saw this picture of a flock of sheep. And one by one, sheep began to leave this flock and they were making their way to the edge of a cliff. And as they looked at the cliff, they looked back at the flock and they looked at the cliff and one by one, they just began to jump off to their death. And every sheep had a name and every sheep had a story. And every sheep was someone in our community who we'd walked with or, or we'd known and we'd seen God do some amazing things in their life. But one by one, they just began to commit spiritual suicide, just tapping out on God. And it broke me. It broke me because they're the whole reason we started this church. The whole reason we do this every single week. I'm really grateful for the people that knew Jesus before they got here and they found another community to tie into because, you know, they were looking for a church or their church wasn't working out any longer or whatever. I think that's, that's, that's cool and I'm glad that God's added them here. But at the end of the day, the reason the Father's house exists is so that people who don't know Jesus yet can find life in Jesus here. We are here for those sheep. And as I saw these sheep who'd been saved and set free and baptized in our church just begin to jump off the cliff, it was like everything that we'd worked for for 18 months before we were shutting down was just kind of exploding in front of me. Just, I just felt crushed. And so I came to our team a couple of days later and I began to share with them the picture that God had given me and I shared a few of the stories that people had shared with me, left the names out, don't worry. Uh, just kind of letting them know, like, here's where our church is at. It says in Proverbs, know, know the state of your flocks. Like, give your heart to your herds. Know where people are at. And I felt like the team needed to know. And as I shared that, I said, guys, we have to do something about this. Like, statistically, right now in our nation, 35 to 40% of the people who used to call on Jesus have completely disappeared from church. Almost half of the church is just gone. They've tapped out and said, you know what? This whole God thing, this was, this was a joke. If God was real, we would not be experiencing what we're experiencing right now. And I would love to tell you that our church is not a part of those statistics, but I would be lying to you if I did. There are 35 to 40% of the people who called this church home that are out there wandering right now. And I'm, I'm like, guys, we have to do something about this. This is not okay. I'm not grateful to just have 65% of what we once had while all these other people who have an eternity and have a name are out there wandering around. We have to fix this, but I don't know what to do. And so we began to talk about it. And as we talked, you could just feel the weight. You, you could feel the heart of God for these people, even in that meeting. And the more we discussed it, the more we realized, you know what, this isn't a sermon. This isn't a series of sermons we need to preach. Uh, this is something we need to engage the entire church in. This is a campaign we need to engage in. See, a sermon is information from a stage, but a campaign is an invitation to engage. Oh, that's right. Hey. And, <laughs> such a preacher line. But here's what I believe the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. I think he's asking not just a few people or a leadership team or a portion. I think he's asking our whole church to engage right now, to engage in taking responsibility for some sheep that have wandered. For that 35 to 40% that are not here right now to say, you know what? We're gonna do whatever it takes to bring those sheep back into the fold. They're worth it. They're worth all of our energy, all of our passion 
to bring them back into the house. And we are calling this campaign, as the video suggested a moment ago, for the one. Come on, tap somebody and tell them, for the one. You can tap somebody there at your house as well, for the one. And we got that phrase from a collection of stories, three parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, rather famous in the body of Christ, uh, about a couple of lost things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend all of our time looking at just those three stories, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And even if you've been a part of church forever and you're like, I I know those stories. I've read them before. I've heard 15 sermons on them. There's no way yours is going to be any, anywhere near as good as the other ones I've heard. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to breathe some new life on these stories and he's going to use it as a compass, as a way to navigate us in this season to show us what the father's house is called to do in our city. So I'm going to appeal to you for the the best I can. I'm going to appeal. I'm going to invite you to engage. Jump in with us on this campaign and and let's win some people back to the house in this season. Uh, Let me pray. And then uh, we're going to jump into Luke 15 together. If you've got a Bible, you can can turn it there. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the people that you have brought to this house over the last two years. And God, every single one of them has a name. Every single one of them has a story, a story and a name that you know. You drew them here. We didn't draw them here. It might've been a bus app, but that bus app was placed in front of them at that moment because you wanted them in the house. It might've been a friend that invited them, but it wasn't really the friend. It was the compelling Holy Spirit drawing them into his house. And God, for those that you brought here, I I pray that there there would be a burden on each and every one of us, not a heavy one that we can't handle, but a burden like your heart, God. It would rest in us to begin to chase down those that are no longer here. I pray that we would not lose one in this season. I believe that is your heart for us. Show us how to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Uh, This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this parable or this story. Pause there for just a moment. Uh, This was relatively common practice for Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 34, that every single time Jesus preached, he told stories. He used parables. And if that phrase is unfamiliar to you, a parable is simply this. It is a fictional story to display a spiritual truth. Jesus understood that telling people the truth, just the truth and nothing but the truth, wasn't necessarily going to change their lives. It wasn't going to inspire change in anybody. And so he often took truth and he packaged it in the form of a story because he wanted people to be, to be able to see how truth played out in their day-to-day life. Really, he wasn't in, as much interested in the information as he was in getting this person to see themselves in the parable. And so anytime we go to a parable, and, and I've said this before, and if you're new, this is, this is brand new to you, but everyone's heard me say it before. But anytime we read a parable, the question we need to be asking ourselves is, who am I in this story? So as we get into this first story about a lost sheep, ask yourself as we read, who am I in this story? Uh, Jesus goes on to say in verse four, uh, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. 
In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed away. So ask the question, who am I in this story? Now, before you answer that, I believe that you could be one of two characters in this story. I think that there's a few different lenses we can look at this parable from. And we only have time to look at one of them today. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this parable uh, again next week, and we're going to look at it from a different angle. But for the sake of today's content, you are a sheep. You're a sheep. Come on, give someone next to you a little bah. Bah. If you find them attractive, make it a little sassy. Bah. Like whatever you need. Yeah, yeah. Give them a bah. You are a sheep. And Jesus is the great shepherd that chases down the sheep. Now, as a sheep, you could be one of two different sheeps. Sheeps? Sheepin? I don't know what the plural is. Sheep in this story. Perhaps you are here today and you are a part of the 99 sheep. You would say, listen, I don't feel like I've wandered. I feel like I'm close to Jesus right now. I'm a part of the flock. I'm a part of the fold. All is good in my life. In fact, if anything, the last six months has proven that my faith is unshakable. I feel like I've, got, I've gotten closer to Jesus right now and I, I really do feel like my faith is strong. And if that's the case for you, I, man, I applaud you. That's incredible. And I'm so grateful that your maturity has allowed you to remain a part of the flock in this season. But that's not the case for everybody. Not everybody could say I, I'm numbered among the 99 right now. And even if you feel like you are a part of the 99 right now, I think it's fair to say that all of us know what it feels like to be the one. At some point, every single one of us was that lost sheep wandering out there in the wilderness, just desperately hoping that a shepherd was gonna come and find us. Before any of us walked into church and knew who Jesus was, he was out there searching for us. We were all that lost sheep. And I think it is imperative, before we begin to talk about chasing down other sheep, that we remember what it felt like, that we remember what that situation, what that life looked like before the shepherd came and found us. That we recall how much he loved us, how much he pursued us, how much he's forgiven us of. Because only once we've received do we have the capacity to give to somebody else. Only once we have received the love of God can we begin to love people the way that Jesus has told us to love them. And so today, for the entirety of our time together, I want us to put ourselves back in that space where we remember we were once a lost sheep. And for the sake of our chat, I wanna, I wanna consider this question. What would Jesus do for the one? What lengths would Jesus go to for that one lost sheep? I'm gonna give you three thoughts out of this, and the first is this. What would Jesus do? He seeks the lost sheep. He seeks them. Uh, I don't think that there's anything, you know, out of the ordinary for a shepherd to go out and try to find a sheep that he lost. That makes sense. If I was a shepherd and I lost a sheep, I would try to go out and find the sheep that I lost. However, what I do find unique is the risk that this shepherd is willing to take in order to go chase down this one rogue sheep. Look at what Jesus says. He says in, in verse four, won't he, the shepherd, leave the 99 others where in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Jesus says that upon discovering that he has lost a single sheep, this shepherd leaves 99 perfectly good sheep, 
sheep that have not strayed, sheep that are hanging out right there in the middle of the wilderness with him, and he leaves them there to all the elements, the lions, the tigers, the bears, oh my, that he leaves them, and he begins to chase down a single rogue sheep. To me, this seems like bad responsibility. It seems reckless. It seems irresponsible. It just, it doesn't make any sense. It seems illogical. If I was the shepherd, I'm like, you know, I still got 99 sheep. Like I, this one that's out there, like, eh, it's just a sheep, you know, it's not that big a deal. Like I got 99 sheep and I don't lose one. Like, like I, I'm not as concerned about the lost sheep, but this shepherd is so much so that he's willing to risk everything to go get that one sheep, which causes me to ask a question. What provokes a shepherd to make such an irresponsible, reckless move to chase down a single sheep? Well, let me answer that question with a story, as I do, because that's what Jesus did. Uh, Last summer, we were helping out uh, a group called City Impact in the Tenderloin for a conference and an all-day event they were hosting out there to uh, meet the needs of the community out there in the Tenderloin. And it was amazing. A bunch of us went out and we held a a carnival for a bunch of kids and uh, we uh, did pedicures and manicures and cut people's hair and gave out a bunch of free food and just really blessed the people of the Tenderloin. It was absolutely incredible, so much fun. Uh, But after the conference was over, uh, a few of us decided to head out and go get some food. And among the group that decided to go eat uh, was the Barch family. Now, if you don't know the Barch family, um, Isaac Barch, he runs all of our live production. Come on, can we give it up for Isaac Barch? He's back there somewhere right now. Uh, And Isaac and his wife, Jen, they have eight children. Yes, I said that correctly. They have eight children. Uh, When we started the church, they had six And then in December, right after we started the church, God's like, here, have some twins. Why not? You've got six others. Here's two more for you. So now they are a family of 10. They drive around a school bus. It's amazing. Uh, But I don't, I mean, when I consider going out to eat with my children, like I don't even know if I can handle two. So eight seems to be a lot. And this was no ordinary trip to a restaurant. We decided to go to the Westfield Mall on Market Street downtown and get Chipotle in the mall. And I'm like, do you have leashes for your kid? No, okay, we're just gonna go. All right, we'll see what happens. So we head into the mall and we're walking to Chipotle. And after we get in there a few minutes later, we look around and we notice that one of Isaac's kids is missing. We're like, wait, what? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. I lost count. Hold on, wait. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. No, one of them's missing. And, and, you know, Isaac's cool as a cucumber. The guy's really cool under, uh, under pressure. And he's like, it'll be fine. We'll find him. And I'm like, bro, this is no ordinary mall. This is downtown San Francisco. These people are nuts. You do not want to lose a kid out here, all right? We've got to find your child. So we start searching high and low all across the mall to try to find his kid. And he goes one way and I go another way and we're looking in stores and we're looking on different floors and he's nowhere to be found. So I, I head over to the elevators over by Nordstrom and uh, I'm, I'm pushing the buttons and you know, those things are super slow over there too. Thanks for that. Uh, and you know, I'm going floor by floor. I'm like, you know, bedding and children's clothing and women's clothing. And you know, I'm looking around the floors. I can't find men's clothing. I'm like, oh, I like that shirt. That's a really nice, it's on set, set focus. You know, and I'm like, okay. So after about 30 minutes, finally, Isaac calls me. He's like, hey, I found, and I won't mention your name because I love you. I'm not gonna bust you out on, on, in front of everybody. I found my son. It's all fine. And I'm like, oh. I get off the phone, I breathe a deep sigh of relief. I thank God for birth control. Uh, and then uh, we go and we eat and everything's fine. But I want you to consider something with me for a moment. Imagine if upon discovering that Isaac has lost one of his sons, imagine Isaac goes, eh, I got seven others. 
It's fine. He, he's got other kids. Some of them are sons. They can carry on the family name. They can do chores around the house. He's like, if he comes back, it's cool. If not, I mean, I already have more kids than most other people anyway. I'm already blessed, right? It'll be fine. That's, that's insane. Of course he wouldn't say that. No sane father would say, ah, it's fine. I've got some other kids. I'll, I'll let that one go and I'll just, I'll pay attention to the ones I've got left. I would, I, I would argue that even if Isaac had a hundred kids, which is not an impossibility, that he would leave the 99 and he would go find that one kid that was wandering around out there in Westfield Mall. Because that's what the heart of a father does. A father will not let one of his kids go missing. Let me remind you again, these are not sheep we're talking about. This is an illustration. It's a parable. These are people. And if sheep are people, then people are worth seeking out. People are worth chasing down to the father. Jesus is not sitting in heaven right now and he's like, you know what? It's fine. We still have 65% of the church. They're going to be, I was getting tired of feeding all those mouths before anyway and providing for all those people. This, let's just pare this thing down to where we can hit. No, the heart of the father breaks for every single person by name, by situation, by trauma. He longs for them to be back in his house. And let me just say, if you are one of those sheep today, if you are one that has wandered off and you are far from Jesus, he is chasing you today. He is pursuing you today. There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no shadow he won't light up. There's no wall he won't kick down. He's doing whatever it takes to make his way to you because he loves you that much. Even if you were only one of 8 billion people on this planet that was lost, he would leave the flock of heaven and he would still make his way down to earth and he would still die on a cross for you because he loves the one that much. He's willing to seek the one. Now, he doesn't just seek. The story goes on. He says, this, this shepherd, he, he, he roams throughout the wilderness to find his sheep, but once he finds his sheep, he doesn't just leave it there. Second point, he saves it. He rescues the sheep. I love this little detail and we're gonna unpack it a little bit, but look what it says in Luke 15, five. And when he has found his sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. He picks the sheep up and he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it home with joy. Now, sometimes I think it's important to look at not just what is said in scripture, but what is not said in scripture. Sometimes what is not said is equally as important and equally as impactful. And we would be wise to consider what the shepherd did not say to his sheep in this moment. Notice the shepherd did walk, not walk up to the sheep and say, are you serious? Like, you did this again? That, that's it. He didn't hit the sheep. He didn't reprimand the sheep. He didn't discipline the sheep. He didn't look at that sheep and he said, you know what, this is the last time I'm gonna chase you out into this wilderness. Next time, you make your way back on your own. But this time... I'm willing, but never again. He, he didn't lay a guilt trip on the sheep. After all I've done for you, after all I've provided for you, I, I literally gave my life for you and, and you just ran away. You promised you would never run away again. And here you are out in the wilderness. He didn't say any of that to the sheep. He just walked up to the sheep. He picked it up. 
he put it on his shoulders, and he joyfully took it home. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Religion says walk back. Grace says I'll carry you. Religion says figure it out. Walk back. You did this to yourself. You come back to me. Grace says I'm going to come to where you're at. I'll pick you up and I will carry you home. Now, you guys know how much I love sermon illustrations. It's like my second greatest passion in life. And I've had a bunch of different toys and magic tricks up here before. And uh, this weekend, I, I tried to find an illustration for this sermon. Uh, and specifically, I tried to find a sheep that I could throw over my, a stuffed one, not a real one, just to be clear, that I could, that I could throw over my shoulders. Uh, mostly because I didn't want to put Drew, who is operating this camera right now, into a sheep costume for the third time and use him as an illustration. So I ordered the sheep from Amazon and it came and it was tiny. It was so small. And I'm like, ah, this isn't going to work. Uh, but then I, I had an idea and I asked for permission. And my uh, youngest daughter, Livy, allowed me to borrow one of her stuffed toys for this weekend's message. So um, I don't have a sheep, but for the sake of illustration today, this uh, giant unicorn that is, is going to be a sheep. Uh, I don't know if this is how you hold a unicorn, but this is Sparkles. Everyone say hi to Sparkles. Yes, my daughter is in the front row smiling ear to ear right now because I'm using sparkles for an illustration. But, but I, I wanted to show you this because I think just seeing this in, in, in picture form is so, so powerful. Uh, assume for a moment that this sheep is lost and it's just hanging out over there. Perhaps if we wrote this story and we were the ones telling it to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, it might sound a little bit like this. When the shepherd saw his sheep, he said, seriously, this is where you're at again? You wandered back into the wilderness. I feel ridiculous talking to a unicorn right now, by the way. You wandered into the wilderness again? You, you fell back into that addiction again? You slept with him again? You fell again? I am so tired of, I mean, after all I've done for you, this is, this is how you repay me. And look, you're just sitting there. You're not doing anything. You're not taking a step in my direction. You haven't read, you haven't prayed, you haven't worshiped, you haven't done anything godly in months. You're just gonna sit, what do you, you expect me to come over and to pick you up and carry you up? No, you can walk yourself back home. Or, or maybe, maybe that's not, you know, how we see God, and maybe we have a slightly better understanding of how he works. So, so maybe our story would sound a little bit different. Maybe it would sound something like this. When the shepherd saw the sheep, he walked over and he's like, <sighs> every time, and he picks the sheep up, throws them over his shoulder, and he's like, how many times am I gonna have to do this for you? I, I am so tired of having to come and chase you down and pick you up again and dust you off again you keep falling into the same pit over and over and over again, and I have to come and find you? When are you going to finally just, just get a hang of your faith and just stay the course? But, but the shepherd doesn't say any of that. Because that's not the good news. That's not what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd does not stand at a distance with his arms folded and say, figure out how to make your way back to me. 
Instead, the story tells us, which Jesus says is an illustration of how he works, that the moment the shepherd sets eyes on his sheep, he runs over to the sheep and he picks the sheep up. Are you okay? Are you all right? Oh my gosh, I missed you so much. And he throws the sheep over his shoulders, not begrudgingly, but with a smile on his face. And he says, I will carry you. My grace will carry you back to the place that you belong. Why? Because the shepherd knows that the sheep can't carry itself back into the house. The shepherd knows that the sheep is bloodied and beaten and it's exhausted and it's tried everything it knows how to do to get home, but it's still been stuck in the wilderness. And so the second the shepherd sees it in his love and in his grace, he says, I will pick you up. I will scoop you up. It doesn't matter how far you've walked. I will carry you back into the fold again. Listen to me today. If you are that sheep, you do not have to work your way back to Jesus. You don't have to obey your way back to Jesus. He will find you in whatever pit you find yourself in right now. And his arm is not too short to save. And he will lay you on his shoulders. It says in Isaiah 53 that we all like sheep have gone astray. Yet the Lord laid upon himself all of our sin. He will carry your sin. He will carry your failure. You are not wired and equipped to carry it yourself. And so Jesus picks you up and he carries it for you. And listen, it's a joy. You're not a burden. He's not, oh, I gotta carry the sheep again. This walk is long. It's a joy for the shepherd. Jesus said that the, that the shepherd picked him up and threw him over his shoulders and with joy, he went back home. Come on, let Jesus pick you up today. Let him carry you today. If you're one of that 35% that's watching today, do not let him leave you in the wilderness while you just sulk in your failure a little bit longer. Let him pick you up and bring you back to the house. Because Jesus isn't just interested in seeking, he also wants to save. But there's a third thing, a third thing that I absolutely love that, that Jesus tells us happens. The reason I love that he tells us this happens is because, again, the story is articulating what Jesus is like. And it says that he doesn't just seek and he doesn't just save, but number three, he also celebrates. He celebrates the return. Look at what it says in uh, verse six. It says, when he, the shepherd, arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, be honest for a moment. As you read this, he, he finds his lost sheep. He invites all of his friends and neighbors over and says, let's party. As you consider that, does that not sound slightly ridiculous to anybody else? Like, think about it. I'm gonna invite all my friends and all my family members over for a party to celebrate the fact that I found a sheep. <laughs> that, that seems a little over the top to me. That seems a little unnecessary. Like, I love sheep, I think they're great, but I'm not throwing parties for them, you know? Like, like if someone invited me over for a party with their friends and family members to celebrate that one of, you know, a bunch of sheep came home, I'm probably not going to that party. It's like, it's not gonna be very fun. It's like he's just looking for a reason to celebrate. You know that, that lady? She's like, we're gonna decorate the house. Like they look for any excuse to celebrate and throw a party. You're like, oh, it, it's Groundhog Day. It's my half birthday. It's fall. Let's go get PSLs, pumpkin spice lattes. And let's decorate the whole house in the fall motif. Like people just looking for an excuse to party. 
You're like, okay, let's gear down for just a moment. This is just a sheep, right? It seems like an excessive celebration. But perhaps the excessive nature of this celebration is intentional because Jesus wants us to see something that every lost sheep needs to hear if they're gonna make their way back to the house. Remember, Jesus is telling this story in response to an accusation from the religious leaders and the Pharisees who don't seem to like the company that Jesus keeps. As they accuse him of spending time with notorious sinners and tax collectors, they're saying, ah, really, Jesus? That's gonna be your entourage? That's gonna be your crew? We don't believe that the, the Messiah, the Son of God, should keep company with such, such disreputable people. Like, read through the book. Jesus was hanging out with ex-prostitutes and tax collectors and criminals and murder. I mean, like, there was a lot of disreputable people around Jesus. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees, their assumption was that they had no business being around God and God had no business being around them. So if Jesus was truly God, he would keep different company. In fact, their thought was, Jesus, how could you even tolerate being around these kinds of people? And what Jesus tells us through this story is that he doesn't just tolerate them, he celebrates them. Listen, Jesus doesn't just tolerate your return, he celebrates your return. I think a lot of people assume wrongfully that when they come back to Jesus, when they find their way back in the house, that there isn't really a, a celebration happening as much as a trial period, right? Like, okay, let's see if this one lasts this time. Because that's how our human minds work. Like, okay, you can work your way back into the fold. Let, let's see how many months you go before you try to wander again. Like, I'll tolerate your existence right now. And maybe if you prove yourself over time, then we'll celebrate, celebrate you when you arrive at this space of holiness. But we'll see if you get there first. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus does not wait till you arrive at some space. The second he walks back into the house, there is a party happening. He celebrates because there was a sheep that was out there in the wilderness and it was left to the elements and it was left to death, but he rescued it and he brought it back into the house and he said, I am so grateful that this sheep is back home that I don't want to just celebrate by myself. I'm inviting everybody. I'm all my friends, all my family members. Come on, this sheep that was gone is now back in the house and we must celebrate. That's the heart of the father. And he even says it black and white here. He says, that's what happens in heaven. Come on, picture this for a moment. Every time somebody lifts a hand, every time someone takes their mouse and taps on that little button that says raise hand on the live stream, heaven starts to throw a party. Angels are doing backflips and there's streamers and pinatas and oh, another one came in. Like everyone is just pumped. They're not tolerating the return of a lost sinner. They are celebrating the moment that person walks into the house. And honestly, I'm ready to party again. I'm sick and tired of mourning, man. I hate partying by myself in my house. I want, I want a party to happen in heaven. I want to see 35% of those that used to call this place home coming back into the house and heaven screaming and shouting and celebrating and turning up the music because there's some sheep that have made their way back home. And so my appeal to you as we conclude, and the band can come with this, is if you are that sheep, come on, let us celebrate with you. Jesus is seeking you. 
He's chasing you down right now. Not so that he can reprimand you, not so that he can punish you for being out of the house. The breadth, the width, the distance that you've run, it does not matter to him. He simply wants to find you so that he can save you and carry you back into the house and celebrate your safe return. Do not stay at a distance today. And for the rest of us, for the 99% that would say, you know what, I'm doing, or excuse me, 99 sheep that would say, you know, I'm doing okay, I'm still part of the fold. I'm doing good right now. We'll talk more about what our responsibility is next week. But would you do me a favor this week? If you know a sheep that has wandered, if you know someone that's at a distance right now, would you just tell them about the shepherd again? Maybe shoot him a text with Luke 15 that says, God's thinking about you. Jesus is chasing you down. He still loves you. Maybe send him the link to this sermon or just let him know that there is a God that isn't judging them, that isn't angry at them, that loves them and wants them back in the house. And, and let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the return. I think they're coming. I think they're coming by the dozens. People are coming back home. Let me, let me pray. And as I conclude, uh, if you are one of those that's been at a distance, I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now, right here, to say yes again to Jesus and come back into the family today. In this room, you guys can bow your heads. And for those watching, let's pray. Jesus. I thank you for drawing men and women unto yourself. Holy Spirit, it is not a man or a message or anything else that draws, draws people unto the Father, it's you. So even before we pray this prayer, I just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, begin to speak to every heart. Invite those that are at a distance to come back home. And as you're watching today, if you'd say, that's me, I'm the sheep that's been wandering around in the wilderness and I am far from the shepherd. Just know right now he's standing right next to you and he's ready to pick you up and throw you on his shoulders. He's ready to take you home if you're willing. And if so, I wanna pray a very simple prayer with you. Just a prayer of commitment to him to say, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back home with you. And as you pray this prayer, I wholeheartedly believe that your wilderness wandering season is gonna be, is gonna be erased by the love of God as you sense that you're being brought back into the fold. Just repeat this in your heart after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for finding me, for chasing me down. I, I, right now, I, I let you put me on your shoulders and carry me. I can't carry myself. I can't deal with the sin and all the stuff that I, I've taken on in the last couple of months. I, I, I need to come back to you. Carry me, please. And help me to be your disciple from this point forward. Help me not to stray again, but to stay in the fold and to serve you for all my days until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we thank God for all those making that decision today? So good. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, there's a little button popping up in the live stream. You can click that button right now. Uh, and just let us know that you made that decision. Give us a little bit of information about yourself. We will follow up with you right away. We wanna get a Bible out to you this week if you don't already have one and really help you on your next steps. If you're watching on YouTube, you can click the connect link below and same thing will happen. But we're so passionate about making sure that you don't just say a prayer and then move on with life, but that practically you begin to take these next steps. We're gonna teach you how to read the word, how to pray. And as you saw today, we're gonna, we're gonna get you water baptized. That is your very next step. Uh, for all the rest of you watching, if you need to send this to someone, feel free to send the link out. Uh, but otherwise, we love you so much. We'll see you next week as we talk about the sheep again and what our responsibility is uh, as a community for the one. We love you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you soon.
Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.